Fit and Theater of the Words presents The Reprehensibles, The Fight for Earth's Future, Episode 2, The Constantines, A Family of Wealth and Privilege. Wilson and Andrea were almost dressed as Wilson tucked in his blue turtleneck into his satin-like gold pants. He was about to reach for his Ross coat. Yes, said Wilson. Mr. Neville Constantine. Neville entered the room like a runaway transit train across the lunar surface. Don't think I'm too concerned about you, Wilson, he said as his body assumed an upright position. What are you concerned about? asked Wilson as his voice shook. Where is she? In the cleaner? Where, where, where is who? asked the intimidated Wilson. I shall be brief. It's no secret that you've been sleeping with my sister for some time. I have told you, I do not care what either of you do, but my father does, he said as he held Wilson's shoulder, the way that he held Duval's shoulder. I need you, Wilson. You have more experience than any lunar operation personnel or anyone I know. You are vital to me in the food production and other areas. So what are you saying? I am saying that either marry my sister or be totally discreet. Both of you were observed entering this apartment last evening. Oh, answered Wilson as he looked toward the floor. Now I suggest that you and Andrea arrive separately at the hangar, he said as Andrea opened the doors to the cleaning room. Desmond looked to his right. I take it you just heard what I told Wilson. Yes, I heard, she answered quite submissively to her younger brother. Good. Wilson, you will come with me now, said Neville as he walked to the door. Babe, I'll meet you on the seventh floor of the recreation room, said Wilson. We haven't got all day, Wilson. Let's go, demanded Neville. Wilson kissed Andrea and marched from the apartment with Desmond. She watched them pass through the doorway and the diagonal doors closed behind them. Saddened by the episode, she wandered over to the long window. Pewter, open the window panels. Panels neatly unfolded to the side, and the sun, slightly sharper than it appeared on Earth, was on the horizon. From the lunar surface's gray-colored rocks were a strewn layer of powdered dust in the scalloped-out Tycho crater. There was no wind, there was no rain, there was no weather at all here on the lunar surface. Why had humans come to this lifeless place anyway? The building, which Andrea stood in, was evidence of the fact. The sector station had a curiously constructed structure wall over 90 feet high. Covering the station was a clear layer of Zambium fiber over the dome. The artificially created environment allowed people to live on the lunar surface as if they were on Earth. The protective dome tapered to an extending clearer tube around its base. Inside the transportation system, the transitway resembled a small conventional monorail, yet the transitways were much wider than the three or four groupings, four sets each, separated by two aisles. Power on the transitway was not electrical, but magnetic, as the transitways hummed along the white concave pathway. Like most everything else on the moon, they were controlled by computers, radiating from the sector station to hundreds of mining operations, farming areas, and settlements. Andrea looked toward the horizon. The tops of the nearest form desks were just visible in the sunlight. Close up, they resembled the storage tanks of a city. However, they were much larger than their outer shells and constructed the same Zambian fiber as the domes. The huge disks, part of the Constantine operation, were grouped in clusters of 20 and could be seen very easily through the lunar telescopes at any time. 
She was extremely proud of what her family had built, beginning with Barrett Constantine, who founded the company 75 years ago. With dwindling energy and metal supplies on Earth, Barrett Constantine gazed upward into outer space. Mining operations had already commenced on the moon several years in the past, but the Constantines had other inclinations. As a person who took chances, he liquidated his Earth holdings and headed directly for the moon. In those days, it took several days to traverse the great distance to the moon. Beginning with absolutely nothing, only a strong-willed man could do what he did. Indeed, the venture could have very easily folded if not for his continued perseverance. From the first small outpost, which took five years to become fully operational, he built a mining empire which, by his life's end, had netted him inconceivable wealth. The lunar operation established its own earth-orbiting factories, furnaces, and warehouses. When Barrett Constantine died, he left nothing to his wife. Rather, the entire stockholding of the lunar operations went to his only son, Darius. Darius continued the lunar operation in unprecedented progress, expanding mines across the moon craters. He had a perfect record of expansion, the only real setback being personal, as his wife Elizabeth died in childbirth when Neville was born. Perhaps this solidified his drive and ambition on the lunar surface, the offspring of Earth, even though the aggregates had vast power throughout the area. Still, it was Darius's food production efforts, Andrea thought, which would be his hallmark as a compassionate humanitarian. She peered downward, past the wider sections of the building as one of the transitways, probably with Neville and Wilson on board, pulled away from the terminal and into the sector station. Its destination was a departure hangar for incoming and outgoing lunar spacecraft. If she was to get to the hangar before the return of the ship to Earth, she would have to leave on the next transitway. Quickly, she turned from the windows and toward the doors. Puda, open the doors. Once in the corridor, she hurried forward along the vertical slits of the light-colored walls. She ordered the pewters to open the slit, and the wall expanded apart to the size of a doorway. Walking inside, she stepped onto a clear floor, encircled by glittering gold walls. Bring me to the terminal, she requested, as the outside wall slowly closed in this room called a mover descended to a lower level. When she emerged from the mover, she was at the lowest usable level of the sector station, the transway terminal. Only the environmental systems and the gravity adding fields were below this level. The sunlight from the span of glass above the outside wall flickered through her flowing hair as she passed through a steady stream of people. A fine variety of restaurants, shops, and small cafes lined this wide open area. Above, the towering ceiling bulged downward from a central tube of light which ran down its length to the transitways. Andrea soon climbed aboard the elongated rock staircase leading to the arched opening of the different transitways. She headed to her left to the opening marked Departure Hangar in glowing red letters. Inside, the transitway was in place to the adjacent long ramp and the sunlight shining through the clear Zambian tube. Although the transitway appeared to be one long streamlined piece, it was actually divided into 15 separate compartments. As she headed toward the lead car, reserved for the Constantines, one of the attendants in the Royal Bill Ralston coat ran up to her. May I help you up front, Miss Constantine? She asked. Oh, I guess that would be all right, answered Andrea. You seem pale. Are you feeling sick? asked the attendant. Oh, no, just a strange feeling, that's all, she said as they walked toward the front car. 
the same way you feel when the year changes. I don't know, maybe it's just in my head, she smiled. Probably the Earth Party. They've got everyone around here nervous, suggested the attendant. Yes, that must be it, said Andrea as they reached the front. And thank you, I appreciate your company. No problem, Miss Constantine, said the attendant as the dark-haired lady entered the transitway car. Aboard the first transitway, several kilometers ahead, Darius Constantine, the fluffy, white-haired patriarch, sat next to the leader of the Earth Party, Jim Pierce. Both men were about the same age and old friends from years past. Pierce worked his way up through the diplomatic services so that he was right next to the center of power on Earth. He was seated behind a table that had been installed in the middle aisle, and the seats around them were members of Pierce's staff as well as the lunar aggregate personnel. Jim, said Darius Constantine as a computer terminal screen filled with a neon-like blue advertisement. This is the marquee I plan to distribute in the Earth Pewters. It should attract the best people, and I only want the best. And you'll get them, said the bald-headed Pierce, his bristly mustache moving as he spoke. Yes, we'll leave the reprehensibles on Earth. Right. We'll have it inputted into the central Pewters at the Earth City in a few days. Neville's been working on it for months. Good boy, that Neville, as he moved his hand from the confines of his white turtleneck. Itches every time I clean my beard. Oh, and I thought you were just getting hot under the collar, said Pierce. Darius Constantine returned the laughter as he looked at his old friend. I'm surprised you can breathe under that mustache. Well, it's a good change if you ask me. Makes me look younger, remarked Pierce. Right, the ladies like that now, and I know you, needled Darius. At 65 years old, Jason, I need more than a stiff mustache to be chasing after the ladies, he joked as they both broke into laughter. But we've had our times, my friend, said Darius, and don't you forget it. As they enjoyed their final minutes together, one of the attendants walked up to the table with a cup of sucron on a tray. You're a sucron, Mr. Pierce, said the attendant. I told you I'd take it in the rear compartment, shouted Pierce as Darius Constantine seemed to wince from the fumes. I'm sorry, sir, I thought that... Well, you were wrong, said Pierce, as the attendant scurried ahead to the rear of the car. Once inside with the doors closed, Pierce turned to the attendant. Connections. The light-skinned man nodded and handed Pierce a Pooter input card about the size of a credit card with thousands of magnetic impulses throughout. Connections turned and quickly re-entered the car as Pierce sat down on the sulfur. He stared at the orange gridded card, holding it in his hand, and then quickly stuffed it in his Ralstead pocket. In deep thought, he sat on the sulfur and drank his sucron as the transitway hummed along. Back at the table, Darius Constantine studied the production figures on the readout screen. The computer sounded several times before he realized what was happening. Yes. Mr. Duval calling from the departure hangar. Very well, said Darius as he rose and walked to the very front of the moving car. He stood in front of a thin, wavy sheet of Zambian matrixes called a telecom. It was the mainstay of communication and coordinated by the computers. Several seconds later, the three-dimensional image of Alma Duval appeared to be standing directly in front of him. Yes, Mr. Duval, what can I do for you? A slight problem, Mr. Constantine. In the directional thrusters, it's been resolved, but I thought you might want to take a look at the scan in private, said Duval, as the lunar aggregate systems were all a secret. Dr. Rio Belovi never had these problems, chided Darius. Where are you, in my office? Yes, sir, said Duval, with great restraint as his image left the telecom. 
Problem, Darius? asked Pierce as he came to the front. No, just some minor holdup. I have to get to my office, Jim. You may already be on board, so let's get back to our seats. I have just a few more points of discussion, said Pierce as they resumed their positions at the table. We should be at the hangar in a few minutes, Jim, said Darius. No, no, I have nothing of great detail to say, just the idea we discussed last week about bringing colonies up here. I don't want to have to remind you the population on Earth is at its bursting point. Jim, said the influential and perhaps more powerful Darius Constantine. I can only tell you what I said then. It's my opinion that bringing people up here will only exacerbate the problem. You're asking for trouble. I will not have the moon end up like Earth. Well, what about the colonies in space? You said, I said I will support such an effort, but with a strict limitation on the population of those colonies. You can feel free to talk to my son Merriweather, he said, referring to his eldest son. He's an expert on artificial environments in space. And when you get to the silo station, just tell him we talked about it. I will, I will. We need all the help we can get, said Pierce. Right. You'll be there in six hours, added Darius. Six hours, laughed Pierce, as the transitway slowed. Remember when it took us all that time to get up here to the moon? But you had time to think, maintained Darius. Now Prudus are telling you to get the hell off the ship, and it seems like you just left home. And speaking of getting off said Pierce as he leaned toward the window. Dwarfing the transitway was the blue grill departure hangar in the sunlight. Across the front, seven stories high for all to see, was the name Lunar Aggregate Corp. In thick blue letters, across the sides of each block-like hangar were four separate warehouses where the raw materials were temporarily stored before they were shipped to Earth. However, the most striking feature of the complex was the departure ramp leading directly out of the rear side of the hangar. It was from this ramp that the fast-traveling ships were shot into space using the propulsion systems developed by Dr. Rimvioli. All this, of course, under the usual protective dome. Every time I see it, I'm still impressed, Darius, said Pierce as the transitway stopped by the ramps to the hangar. Both men stood and walked out of the transitway ahead of the others. They walked along the outside of the transitway basin until they came to the ramps. One led over the basin to the upper levels of the hangar and the other curved beneath it to the inside of the hangar itself. Jim, old friend, this is where we say goodbye, said Darius as the two men embraced. I want to say I've had a productive two weeks, Darius, as well as a pleasurable two weeks. I almost hate to go back, as he shook Darius's hand. Thank you, Jim. I always try to be as accommodating as I can to an old friend like you. Take care, Darius, said Pierce as the elder, Constantine, headed up the overhead ramp. Pierce watched him cross over the transitway, the sun shining brightly on his white hair as he turned one final time and waved. He crossed into the upper levels of the departure hangar, leaving his old friend behind. Join us next week for another exciting episode of The Reprehensibles, The Fight for Earth's Future by Robert P. Fitton, presented by Fitton Theatre of the Words.